uh, I'm so glad that God chose to use us as participants. Christianity isn't about worshiping a God that's far, far off. It's about worshiping a God that is actually so near to us that he's within us. And uh, he partners with us regardless of, of, of whether we find ourselves worthy or not, that he sent his son, uh, who was worthy, to die in our place so that we could have this fellowship with him. So you say, well, Pastor Paul, I, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I haven't done the right thing, and, you know, I, I don't know that I can really sing songs like this or worship God, and, you know, I feel like I'm a hypocrite, and listen, we're all hypocrites. If you really want to be honest about it, if we had the possibility not to be, Jesus wouldn't have had to come. None of us are perfect here. None of us have earned this right to be in his presence or to be counted as righteous. We haven't earned that right. He has. And he's made it available to us. What a good God. What a great father you have. A loving father. If you could, I'm going to share a word with you today uh, from a portion of Scripture that I have ministered out of, even as recent as our, our men's retreat to you, but I'm coming from a different perspective uh, today. If you could turn to uh, Joshua chapter 1, we'll start there. And as I've shared with some of you that have, have been with me for a while, Joshua is one of my, my favorite Bible characters. Uh, you know, you really get to see his entire life in ministry as he started as a teenager serving Moses on to his entire life. And you watch that, uh, the promises that God made him and then ultimately the promises that were fulfilled to him and through him in his life, uh, and he was a great, a great leader, um, but he was also a great follower, uh, which made him a great leader. So if you could, Joshua chapter uh, 1, I am going to read 1 through 8, um, and I have shared a word from this portion of Scripture in the men's retreat, but I'm coming from a different, different perspective, uh, same portion of Scripture. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant is dead. Now, therefore, arise and go over this Jordan that you and all the people to the land which I am giving them, the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread, I have given to you as I've given to Moses. What a great promise. What a great promise. From the wilderness... And this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites and the greatest sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will also be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. But be strong and good courage. To this people you shall divide an inheritance and a land which I swore to their fathers. Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to the law. There goes us partnering with God. He makes his promises, but he tells them to observe everything according to the law. Which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it uh, to the right hand or the left that you may prosper wherever you go. And the book of the law shall not depart from your mouth. But you shall meditate it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. The title of my message is Great Secrets to Greatness. Great Secrets to Greatness. You know, I'm in school uh, in, in, in a leadership class that's that's given through uh, TCUSA for, for executives. Uh, it is uh, a class that, uh, a school that has just kind of really recently been formed. 
Uh, it's not something that they're going to do every year, but every, every couple of years, uh, there'll be a small group of people picked out from the country uh, to be part of this. And I had uh, the great, great honor and privilege to be asked to be part of that. Uh, and one of the things that we do in this leadership course is, is we read a lot of leadership books. Uh, some which are Christian leadership books from pastors or ministers that have done great things in the ministry. And some are from businessmen and billionaires and whatnot who've done great things in the secular world uh, as it pertains to leadership and uh, success in business or growth in, in, in whatever their particular field is. And one of the things that I've learned uh, throughout this is that many, many of these leaders really believe uh, a, a, f a group of a few principles that kind of inter intertwine through all of their belief systems, and uh, they often explain them in different ways and use different illustrations, but at the core of what they're saying, a lot of it is kind of the same. And uh, we have ways of using the English language to kind of dress things up and to sound different and use our own personal, uh, you know, experience to make it sound different. But a lot of it is often the same, and a lot of it is also often very simple at its core. Uh, and just because it's simple doesn't mean that it's not profound. And one of the things that I do when I look at Scripture and I look at men uh, and women that find have any kind of success or any kind of encounter with the Lord where I, I find to be significant, and if it's in the Word, it's really significant, is some of the core characteristics that I see within the person, uh, within their personality, within their uh, 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 way of thinking or their behavior or their choices. And I also look into the choices of, uh, from the perspective of God, like you, why, why did God happen to choose that particular person? Now, I understand that God doesn't use any of us because of some, some greatness that we have within ourselves apart from him. But there, there are some characteristics and traits that the Lord speaks of in the, in, in the Word that kind of give us an idea of what God expects or what God uh, wants to see in His people or what impresses God uh, and, and what, obviously, He doesn't like. Uh, the scripture is, 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 is lined with things, even things as far as what God hates. We know, you know, Proverbs chapter 6, it actually shares with God hates. So there are things that God absolutely doesn't like. And then there are things that we understand that God does like and he blesses. And if we look at this portion of scripture as we look at Joshua, we see that God is doing a new thing uh, in, uh, in Joshua and through Joshua. Uh, he's even doing it not necessarily because of what Joshua had already done, uh, but what Moses had already done before him. But there, there were there's reasons and there's 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 traces and patterns uh, that we can see in the life and the characteristic characteristic of Joshua that made him the right person for the job. I want you to look at your neighbor and say, you're the right man for the job, or you're the right lady for the job. As much as, as, much as uh, the, Moses was the right man, there was a lot of things about Moses that weren't necessarily right. I mean, he murdered someone. I mean, he obviously, if we look in, in Scripture, he had an anger issue at times. Uh, he was. Uh, he he didn't like to, to to speak in front of people. He wasn't uh, well spoken. Uh, he had some issues going on that would have made him not exactly uh, the right man. But for some reason, God saw him to be the. He had enough of what God was looking for that made him to be chosen to be the right man. And it goes on to be the same thing with Joshua. But even as great as Joshua was, the Lord said, listen, these promises are yours, and I'm willing and I want to do these group of things in your life, but it's only going to happen if you do that. So although God uh, gives us promises and they're all yes and, yes and amen, they are tied to certain behaviors and attitudes where we have to work with God. 
If it wasn't so, he wouldn't have told Joshua, listen, I need you to meditate on my word and know my word and observe it and do what it says to do. Now, if Joshua would have decided to say, you know what, that's a great promise and it's mine, but I'm going to walk away from this encounter with you, Lord, and I'm going to do what I want to do, he never would have walked into everything that he walked into. So predestination, although it, it is a thing and God foreknows things, he also partners with us uh, and, and expects some different, uh, different choices and behaviors of us. You know, I can't just do whatever I want and expect to stay in the position uh, uh, living in this great blessing of, of, of serving in such a great ministry like Brooklyn Teen Challenge. If, I, if my behavior doesn't line up to what God expects from me, then I will not be here very long. So our behavior matters. And the things we do matters. It doesn't change the promises of God, but if we want to walk in what God has for us, our life has to line up with what he says. <clears throat> so he tells them to, that all these great promises, and he says, meditate on this word, and if you do this, this will be yours. And we can see that Joshua was destined for greatness. How many people know that you, if you're sitting in this room, you are destined for greatness? You have the King of kings and the Lord of lords who has made himself and presented himself available to you to save you, first of all, from the penalty of sin and death and hell, and the grave, that's your ultimate blessing, but God has also given you his son, his Holy Spirit, to overcome sin, he's given you his word to understand what God expects from us, what a blessing that is, that we don't have to walk around this life not knowing what we can, and what we can't do, or what we should, or what we shouldn't do, generally that's not the case, most of the time, uh, we know what we're supposed to do, and what we should do. In fact, sometimes we'll even get counsel on what we should do. Most of our problems are when we don't do what we know to do or what we've been told or commanded to do. Instead, we do what we feel like doing. And then we reap those consequences. But there's certain things and behaviors that obviously apprehend the heart of God. We can look uh, in John chapter 4 where, where Jesus says God is searching for those who worship him in spirit and truth. So God is looking for someone to worship him in spirit and truth. He looks for that. God told uh, Saul when Saul lost his kingdom, he said he told him that obedience was better than sacrifice because Saul wanted to do things his own way and God told him to annihilate the enemy completely and totally and Saul said, well, that's, 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 that's cool, but what about all the good stuff that we're going to get from the enemy? Why don't I take that and, and we'll keep that because that's good stuff because I know better than God. And God told him, listen, obedience is better than sacrifice. So what God is saying is, listen, sacrifice is okay, but obedience is much better. So God looks for obedience. He looks for it. We know the Bible says in Proverbs 11.25 that God waters, one who waters will be waters himself. God looks for givers. God looks out for people that take care of other people and look out for other people other than themselves. And he promises if you do that, I will take care of your house. If you take care of my house, you take care of my people, you take care of the needy, I will take care of you. And if you water and refresh others, I will water and refresh you. This is a promise that we have from God, but God looks for givers. God loves unity. We know in Psalms 133, he says, how good and pleasant it is when brothers remain in unity. I mean, he loves unity. God looks to bless unity. And he also knows that disunity is a curse. And disunity God hates, as we know he says in Scripture also, is one of the things that he detests is, is disunity or someone that brings disunity or dissension. He hates that, but he loves unity. So he looks for people that unify. So there are obviously some things that God looks for, that God loves, that God likes, that God blesses. There are things that God doesn't like. So although these great promises were for Joshua and all of these, these great promises are for you, that we just can't do whatever we want and expect to walk in the goodness of God, that God does expect 
a certain kind of behavior and attitude from us. And when we don't get or we don't walk in the promises, it's never God's fault. It's like, like it's never uh, the drink's fault that you don't drink it. It's there, it's available, but you got to participate. God wants us to participate. So we look at Joshua and we see a man who has made all these great promises. So I want to know, and I wanted to know, why did God choose Joshua? And I begin to study the life of Joshua and find out what God saw in this man that made him so great. And one of the things that, that I'm going to share with you is out of Exodus chapter 33, verse 7 to 11. And Moses took the tabernacle and pitched it with, without the camp, afar off from the camp. And called it the tabernacle of the congregation. And it came to pass that every night which one which sought the Lord went out to the tabernacle of the congregation, which was without the camp. So they set up a camp, a tent, outside of, outside of the, the camp. And Moses would go there to worship and to speak to God. And it came to pass when Moses went out to the tabernacle that all the people rose up and stood every man at the tent door and looked after Moses until he was gone into the tabernacle. And it came to pass, as Moses entered the tabernacle, the cloudy pillar descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle, and the Lord talked with Moses. And the people who saw the cloudy pillar stand, stand at the tabernacle door, and all the people rose up and worshipped every man at the tent door. Verse 11, So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face. And as, as a man speaks to his friend, he would return to the camp. But his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, did not depart from the temple. So when everybody else was running back to the camp, when everybody else was going back to the world and going back to what was going on in the community, and we know what kind of stuff was going on around that time, there was, uh, just like there is today, there was idol worship and there was sexual immorality. And I'm sure there was uh, gossip and entertainment and whatever they did to, to fill the time. Now, at this time, Joshua is somewhere in the age of 13 or 14 years old. And when, when everybody else went back to the community, went back to their normal things and the normal activities of life, Joshua decided that he was going to stay at the tent at the door, close to the presence of God. Now, we overlook those things and we say, oh, that's really great. Well, Joshua was the servant, you know. But Joshua was a teenage boy. And Joshua's heart was positioned in such a way towards the Lord that what most 13 or 14-year-olds would have done would run back to their friends, run back to the community, run back to where all the action is, go check out the idol worship, go run to go play games with their friends, he decided to stay in the presence of the Lord. And, you know, it's easy to say, man, I want what Joshua has, or I want, uh, I want the blessings of, of what Pastor Gary has. And, oh, I, want, I want to walk in, in this anointing, or I want to walk in this a blessing. But where, what do you run to? Do we run towards the presence of God? Do we run towards the things of God? Or do we run away from them back to all the other stuff? When you're finished with your program and you leave to go home, what is the first thing you're going to go run to? Your friends? Old girlfriends? Go take out your old music collection? Go run back to all the other things that we used to do instead of running to the Lord, but yet we want the rewards of someone that someone has of running to the Lord. Joshua, from a very young age, was more concerned about the things of God than he was the things of the world. And we all want to find success and find greatness, and we all want to, you know, have all the wonderful things that are laid out in these promises, and we all speak them and we claim them, and oh, for I know the plans that I have for you, 
God does know the plans that he has for you. But you have to want his plans for you more than you want your plans for you. Because <laughs> we also know the plans we have for ourselves. And more often than not, we run to the plans we have for ourselves. And we say, oh, God's descent or God's first, but our lifestyle and our actions don't show that. It's like, well, why are you running away from the things of God towards the things of the world, but out of your mouth you're saying Jesus is the center of it all? No, he's not. He's not. But the presence of God was the most important thing to Joshua. And I ask you today, what is the most important thing to you in your life? My first point, Joshua understood the, secret, uh, the secret of servanthood and spiritual authority. You know, you will never see Joshua's name with, early in Scripture without it saying, what does it say? The son of Nun, servant of Moses. Son of Nun, servant of Moses. He was identified by his position of submission to spiritual authority and natural authority. And nobody likes that. And, you know, people that are under, uh, that, 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 that feel like they're low on the totem pole of authority think that people that are above them get some kind of uh, thrill over being the authority. I have learned that it's much easier to be the follower than it is to leader. And there's a lot more responsibility in being the authority than there is being someone, please, someone just tell me what to do. Life was easy when everyone just told me what to do instead of me trying to have to figure out what everybody else has to do. But Joshua understood spiritual authority. He understood servanthood. His life was defined about coming under. And regardless of what your position becomes in life, if you're doing it unto the Lord, it will always be about submission. I am the head of my household. I am a husband and I am a father. But I am submitted to my wife. More importantly like that, I am submitted to God. And if I don't submit myself to my wife... My authority lets me know. I may be the director here. And, well, who am I submitted to? Well, obviously a board. But I am more submitted to God and more submitted than I've ever been in my life. So your level in life doesn't change the level of submission. In fact, the higher you go up, the more submitted you need to be because if you're not, you're going to get yourself in trouble. Joshua understood that. So although he was not always going to be Moses' servant, he was always going to be as su submitted to God as he appeared to be submitted to, to Moses. Your first assignment is somebody else's dream. Jesus said this, he said if you, in, in, in Luke chapter 16, that if you don't take care of somebody else's stuff, that you'll never get your own stuff. I mean, I'm paraphrasing it, but am I right, Pastor Charles? He says, who would give you your own stuff if you can't take care of someone else's stuff? He also says that he that is faithful in little is faithful in much. He that is unjust, unjust in little, in the same chapter, is unjust in much. So you can't wait to get someplace to decide to be faithful. You can't wait to get someplace to decide to be honest. You have to start right where you're at in that seat that you're sitting in today. Because if you think that all of a sudden, well, I'm not really serious about the things of God because I'm in a program, but when I leave, I'm going to join a church and I'm really going to chase hard after God. You're full of it. You know, I'm not really serious about my sobriety, and I really just joke around a lot, and, you know, I still talk about and, 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 and live in the old days and talk about how great they were, but I'm really going to be serious when I leave here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do real good all of a sudden, you know. 
If you're not faithful where you're at, then you're not going to be faithful where you go. And if you're not faithful with little, number one, you probably won't ever get much, but you wouldn't be faithful with much. I know that's a hard thing to say, you know, but, but it's, it's the word. Jesus said it, not me. I mean, I'm just repeating what he said. And I found it to be true in my life. I found it to be true in all of the other lives that I've watched over the years. Men of God, men that have been successful, women that have been successful, and those that have not, even to the point of losing their life. Physical life, like death. Joshua understood servanthood and spiritual authority. He understood that his first assignment was to take care of someone else's assignment. And until you can be okay with that, you'll never get your own assignment. Servanthood and spiritual authority. Dave, we all know David, he beats Goliath. Probably one of the more common stories in the Bible that you don't even have to be a Christian or a believer to hear about the story about little David destroying this big nine-foot giant. You know, David David accidentally showed up to the fight for Goliath. You know that? I mean, it, this, is what, this is what got him notoriety. This is what got him to the place. It wasn't even being anointed by Samuel because that was, that was years prior and that, 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 that was not really publicly known like that. What got him notoriety is when he killed Goliath and they started chanting his name. David for king. Forget about Saul. We want David. Do you know David, the reason why he was even at that place in that position to fight that battle wasn't because he was ambitious. It wasn't because he knew, listen, I'm going to go beat this giant. I'm going to go travel. I'm going to leave my sheep. It's because his father told him to bring cheese and grain, which a cheese to me is a cheese sandwich, told, told his, his son, go bring a cheese sandwich to your brothers while they're on the battlefield. So he wasn't going to look for a fight. He wasn't going to look for a position. He was just being obedient to what his father had told him to do. And I'm here to tell you today that if you want to see great things and walk into great opportunities in your life, it's not chasing after the opportunities that's going to get you there. It's a step-by-step, day-by-day process of bringing the cheese sandwich to your brothers. It's, it's, it's a day-by-day attitude and posture of your heart to say, Lord, I'm going going to obey you, and I'm going to leave the result of my obedience up to you. And that's what David did. David said, okay, I'll bring the cheese sandwiches. And listen, he brought the cheese sandwiches, but he brought them, uh, and it, was, it, was, it wasn't a good situation because when he got there, his older brothers were even accusing him of being a busybody and trying to get involved in things. And all he was trying to do was serve his brothers and listen to his dad. So even in the face of being considered and talked about and lied about and, and not respected and not appreciated, he just kept on bringing it and said, no, I didn't come here for that. I just came here to follow my dad's commands. I came here to bring you a cheese sandwich and serve you. And I'm going to serve you even if you hate me, even if you lie about me, even if you use me, even if you tell me to get out of here, you little short runt. I'm still going to do what, what my dad told me to do. And he did that. And then he found a, a bigger way to serve his brothers by killing the giant that was going to kill them. So in the end of all things, he was still serving his brothers and still honoring his father because he was protecting his family and protecting his people. That was never his intention. His intention was just to obey. His intention was to serve. His intention was to be faithful. His intention was to do the next right thing. And God opened up the bigger door. God placed him in another position. One of the things that disturbs me the most is when I see men go chase after things that God would give them anyway. And they wind up dying or ending up in prison or wind up back on restoration after restoration. Chasing after something, the Lord will give you himself. Just be patient and wait and bring the stinking cheese sandwich. Bring the stinking cheese sandwich. That's it. You don't got to look for Goliath. You don't got to train for Goliath. You just got to bring the cheese sandwich. 
That's it. We overcomplicate this as I'm trying to hear from God what the next thing to do is. I have no opportunity, no open doors. My leaders are telling me it's not the right thing to do, but yet God, I'm just fighting with God to just give me something else because I don't want this situation I'm in. And God just says, just bring the cheese sandwich. Just bring the cheese sandwich. Complicated. He understood Servanthood and spiritual authority. Number two. Number two. He learned to look at things differently. Numbers chapter 14, 6, 9. It says this. Uh, of chapter 14, verse 6 through 9. It says, why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword, that our wives and children should become victims. Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, let us select a leader and return to Egypt. This is when they're rebelling against Moses. They're, they're, they're wandering in the desert. They're like, we need to go back. Why did, you know, why did we, being in slavery was so much better than where we are right now? I'd rather go back to Egypt than to be dealing what we're dealing. And then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before the assembly of congregation of the children of Israel. But Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephna, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes, and they spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, the land we passed through to spy was there exceedingly good. If the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into the land and give it to us. A land which flows with milk and honey. Honey, only do not rebel against the Lord, fear, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Their, prote uh, their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us, so do not fear them. Joshua had a different kind of sight and vision. He didn't look at every circumstance in, 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 with, with fear. He didn't look at, he didn't listen to everybody else's murmuring and complaining and doubting and unbelief. But he looked at a situation where everyone else was like, the giants are too big. We can't win. This will never work. We're not going to do it. Joshua says, no, that's not what I see. Joshua says, what I see is a land flowing with milk and honey. What I know is that God gave us a promise. And if God took me this, far. He's going to take us in. We have God, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God that parted the Red Sea. What are we afraid of? Let's go in. Joshua had different kind of vision. And if you want to be great and you want to know a secret, uh, a great secret to success is this. Look at things differently with eyes of faith. And don't look at every problem as, 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 as a detriment. Look at a challenge as an opportunity to see God be faithful. Because I'm here to tell you the God that has called you is faithful. And he will do it. Look at things differently. I read a book about a preacher. If I said his name, you'd all know him. But he had a, a large piece of property. Seven acres. It was flat land, and he always wanted to have a live on a lake, and he was trying to sell this property for, for years, and he couldn't get a buyer. He wanted to buy a piece of land on a lake. He said, man, I'd love to have, you know, uh, my own little lake with, you know, some hills and some animals and some different things, and it's my dream property to have, and he's walking through this property uh, with another minister friend, and he said, well... He says, you already got it. He says, what do you mean? He says, well, if you dig a little bit of the dirt from over here and you take the dirt out of here, you can make a pond. And if you take the dirt that you dig out of here to make your lake and you bring it over here, you can make a hill. And if you move this over here and you move that, he was looking at things wrong. And sometimes God has given us everything we need in our life. We just have to shift some things around and look at things differently. Our perspective See, some of us get caught up in looking at the present circumstance like it's not good or it's not enough. And it is. And you have to make your, your land and your, your, your lot out of what you're working with. Stop trying to run on someone else's lot and their other piece of land and claim it. God's already given you what he's claimed. you got to work that ground. you got to work it. you got to work it. 
You, you can't just looking for something else and another dream and somewhere else to go. You just got to work the land God gave you. Have vision to see the circumstance that God has you in and s- look with spiritual eyes. Stop looking with your carnal eyes at your present circumstance. I have people, and we've all heard it. I mean, we drag them, I mean, from behind a dumpster, like no life, hadn't eaten a meal in, in three weeks, hadn't showered in three months, I mean, drag them out, bring them in into a place, give them a bed, a nice place to live. We give them three hot meals, and they'll be like, they'll leave because, you know, uh, man, I, I can't get, you know, this 6 o'clock wake-up stuff. is like your vision is messed up, brother. <laughs> like your vision, you're, you're looking at things completely wrong here. Like you, Or they'll complain about, man, we had peanut butter and jelly twice this week for lunch. Brother, you haven't had a peanut butter and sandwich in six years, man. You've been eating out of the back of a dumpster, and you're worried about two peanut butter and jelly sandwiches in a week, and you're complaining? But that's that's how we get. We look at things completely re- whacked out, especially in our Western culture, in our world. We are, and me, me included, man, I am spoiled. I mean, God has been so good to me. I don't even know what it's like to, to be in a, 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 a bad circumstance. Even my worst of days were probably better than a lot of people's best of days and we forget that because we look at our situation and our vision is wrong and we're looking at somebody else's who has a lake and a and a, and a hill and we're not figuring out that we got the same thing right here we just got to work it a little bit you just got to work it a little bit oh great someone's calling me You can't be victorious and a victim at the same time. You're either going to leave in victory and leave the victim stuff behind. My third point, separation and consecration. Exodus chapter 33, I read it earlier. I'm going to touch on it again. Is that when everybody else was running back to the town, running back to the community, running back to idol worship, sexual morality, murmuring and complaining, the philosophies of wi- and the wisdoms of man. Joshua loved God more than he loved the world, and that's really a question that each one of us have to come to a place that we ask ourselves. Do we love God more than we love the world? We can get, get caught up in worldliness. We can get caught up in, 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 in lust and flesh and and, 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 and high-minded living and miss out on what God has for us. It's because our love for the world is greater than our love for God. And we all have to take inventory of our lives and hearts every day. You say, Brother, Brother Paul, even you? Yes, even me. Inventory of my heart each and every day. Lord, am I loving you? Am I, am, I, am, I, am I starting to want worldly things? Are they, are they becoming a motivation to anything I do? Or is my motivation towards you and to a life of godliness and surrender and submission to your will and, uh, and, and the ability to be content in what his will is for that season? One of the things that I was talking to one of our brothers, uh, I don't know who, remember who it was yesterday, and we talked about, like, no matter what you get in life, it's just never enough. Like, I just need one more pair of sneakers. Oh, I just need, I just need, you know, one more subwoofer in my car. Oh, I just need a bigger house. I just need my own yard. I just, I, and life is like that, man. It's like if you, if you let yourself get there, you will never, ever be content or satisfied in your present moment. Even in the present moment that each and one of you find yourself in now, sharing a bunk with four other guys in your room. If you can't learn to be content in that, I know this sounds like, well, it's easy for you to say, Pastor Paul, you live on a house in Valley Stream. But I lived in the men's home for seven years. So I, I, I say this with authority and understanding. If you don't learn to be content in your present situation, you will not be content in your next situation. I mean, we, if, if we had 
more time I can rip into the Apostle Paul where he said, basically, that's the, that's the trick to life. That's the whole key to life is learning. He learned that when I have a lot, well, that's wonderful. And when I don't, that's okay, too. Fight with contentment every day, regardless of what your situation is. And be thankful. Be thankful. And I'm preaching to myself. Be thankful. Separation and consecration. He was separated and consecrated for the work of the Lord. You know, what are you, what are you, what are you separating your life to? What are you consecrating to? You want the promises of God, the things of God, to live with the joy of God, to live drug-free. You're going to have to consecrate and separate yourself to the things of God. Don't, don't tell me that you're going to walk, not go to church and still be consecrated. I'm not going to serve in ministry. I'm not, or, or I'm going I'm I'm to leave, leave a spiritual place to go into a carnal place to pursue spiritual things. Doesn't work. Just doesn't. Sorry. People that leave ministry to go back into the world, to go back into ministry, and that's their plan. I just, the data that I've seen, it just doesn't support it. Especially with people that come from the background that most of us come from. I'm sorry, man. You can tell me what all your good intentions are and everything that you want to do, and that's wonderful, and I'll pray for you, and I'll support you. But it just doesn't line up. If you're shunning and running from the things of the world, why would you go place yourself in the middle of it if God has brought you to a place where he's raising you up, strengthening you, protecting you, providing for you? doesn't make sense. Consecration and separation. What are you separated to and for? And the fourth point, and I'm closing, and then we'll be done. When, when God is the one that went to Moses and told him to pick Joshua. And what he says in Numbers 27, verse 18, he tells Moses to take Joshua, the son of Nun, for he is a man in whom the spirit, whom is in the spirit, and lay your hands on him. If you want the blessing of spiritual things and you want God's best, you're going to have to be a man or a woman of the Spirit. This all kind of ties together. You can't chase spiritual things in a carnal way. You have to be a man of the Spirit. You have to do things that edify the Spirit. If you want your spirit man to be stronger than your flesh or your carnal man, you have to feed your spirit man more. What does that mean? It means being under the word, reading the word. It means praying, fellowshipping with other believers, worshiping, listening to sermons, listening to worship music. These are all things that edify the spirit, man. Godly conversations with brothers that are going, seeking after the same thing. They edify your spirit. They strengthen your spirit, man. Which means you have to say no to other things that, that strengthen the flesh, man. Like, you know, you got to say no to that music that you used to listen to. I'm sorry, man. I'm sorry. I'm not trying to be religious to you. But you can't fill your head with Jay-Z and want to wanna live like, you know, Moses. It just doesn't work. I know Jay-Z's way outdated, but you know what I'm saying. You guys get it. You guys get what I'm saying, right? Some of the younger guys are like, who's Jay-Z? <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know though. Who's the guy now with the the tattoos on his face and his dress? I don't know. They're, they're all they're different now, you know. But anyway, so anyway, my point being is 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 you can't feed the spirit man by doing things that feed the flesh. You can't go watch all sorts of shows and movies and pornography and all these things and expect your spirit man to be fed and to be strong. And the thing where people get confused, and and is this. When you're here and you're in the church and you're fellowshipping with the body, our spirit, you're, you're basically force-fed 
spiritual things. Like you're sitting under the anointing right now. The presence of God is resting in this place. You're hearing the preaching of the word. You, we've been worshiping. Your understanding of spiritual things has been opened and enlightened. You're, you're waking up to a structured life. You're, you're, they dictate what you listen to, what you watch. Your conversations, although you can have crazy conversations, for the most part of your life, even your conversations are monitored. So you have this strong spiritual sense. Man, I feel good. I have joy in my spirit. I feel like I'm connected to God. I feel like addiction doesn't have a hold on me. I feel like, you know, I could overcome the world. And you can if you continue to do those things. <laughs> but if you think that you're going to leave all of those things, and I'm not saying all of those things are just here, but I'm saying if you just think that you're going to leave that lifestyle and go back and start doing other things and expect to still keep that strength, that's why it's like, you know, when guys come on restoration, it's like, well, what happened? Well, you know, I didn't, I didn't do, I had no devotion life. Um, were you going to church? No. Uh, were you reading? No. You know, I was, uh, you know, I was holding out with my old friends. It's like, well, uh, well what would you expect? Like, I mean, there's really no mystery to that to me. You know what I'm saying? It's like, I don't know what happened. I, I know exactly what happened, and I'm going to tell you what happened. And then when four or six months comes along and it's time for you to go again, I'm going to tell you again what's going to happen, and you're going to tell me I'm wrong, and then you're going to go out and do more research. And if you're lucky and God graces you another shot at it, you might not die. <laughs> I mean, that's the reality of it, man. You know, this is chapel service. Everybody in here is teen challenge people. So most of us have dealt with addiction uh, in some kind of sort of way, uh, whether it be a drugs or a pornography or gambling or whatever, something. I'd probably say most of us, if not almost all of us. So you understand this, understand these things. And I'm just being real with you, as real as can be. And this is not my first day here in the ministry. Uh, I struggled with addiction since 15 years old. I came in at 33. That means 18 years of doing this thing. And then now f going into my 13th year of sobriety. So that is what? Tw uh, 30, 31 years of experience in this thing. 31 years dealing with my flesh. Dealing with strongholds. Dealing with the data of being around for 31 years addiction, seeing the conversations, seeing the stories, weekly finding out who died this week. We need to be people of the Spirit, and we need to feed the Spirit if you want the promises of the Spirit. You know what? I love how this ends, and I'm done. And we're just going to pray and go home. Joshua 21, verse 43 through 45, it says this, And the Lord gave them rest around and about, according to all that he swore unto their fathers. And the Lord gave unto Israel all the land which he swore to give unto their fathers. And they possessed it, and they dwelt in it. There stood not a man of all their enemies before them. The Lord delivered them, delivered all their enemies into their hand, every one of them. There failed not aught of any good thing which the Lord had spoken unto the house of Israel. It all came to pass. That's the word of God. The word of God says not one enemy stood against them. Not one promise that God made that did he did not fulfill. Every single one of them. So I think it's important we figure out how they did that. Run away from the things of the world. Be more committed to the things of God. Look at things differently. Don't see the giants. See the God that's with you. Learn spiritual authority and submission. You don't have to go chase after everything, man. Stay submitted, and God will bring it to you in his time. In his, you can chase after it, and you might get it. You'll probably lose it. But if you want God's best for you, wait till he gives it to you. Because what he's doing in the meantime 
is he's strengthening your shoulders to hold the weight of your blessing. And if you are not strong enough and ready for the blessing that you want and you go get it in your own strength, you will drop that thing like Alex dropped fly balls playing softball. <laughs> Sorry, Alex. Sorry. <laughs> you had a good catch, though. Your eyes were closed, but you did have a good catch. No, no, I'm only kidding. <laughs> uh, we love you, Alex. We love you. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this time together, Lord. And, Father, we want to walk in everything that you have for us, God. Forgive us, Lord, when we chase after things rather than chasing after you. Forgive us when... Um, we expect a promise from you, but we don't do what you command us to do to get to the promise. Help us, Lord. Forgive us. Help us to walk in your presence and give us a hunger for your presence, Lord. As the flesh will never hunger for spiritual things. Lord, make and help us to be spiritually hungry people. Lord, we thank you for this group of, of men and, 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 and lady that's here today, Lord, as You've picked a certain time in history for us to be together. Uh, Lord, every life is precious to you. Every person here, every future, every past, every present to every person in this room is so very important to you. And you love them so, so deeply. You love them so much, Lord, uh, that you sent your son and you would have done it for one, Lord. And you, you would have done it even if not one believed because you wanted to show your love for your creation. And we thank you for doing that through the life of Jesus, his submission to you, his, his father, even unto the cross. We thank you that, Lord, when he went to the grave, that three days later you rose him up. And we thank you, Lord, that after he rose up, Lord, that 50 days later that you would send your Holy Spirit so that the spirit that Jesus walked with would, 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 would live all inside of us. And, Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you that your Holy Spirit is our teacher, our confronter, that confronts us, Lord, convicts us in our time of sin, our encourager, our comforter, Lord, when we're hurting. We thank you for the Holy Spirit, Lord.